Welcome to episode 54 of the Flow State Performance Podcast. This is Jira Taylor, your host. I'm talking to you right now from Australia. And uh, on this episode, I'm interviewing a man who um, I must admit to have deep admiration for, a little bit of a man crush. Um, <laughs> I have secret, not so secret hopes for this guy to be a mentor of mine. Um, his name's Giles Hutchins, and he's a change catalyst, a thought leader, a true visionary who um, blends together wisdom traditions, um, business, and nature. So Giles' passion is in exploring ways of applying uh, nature, nature's principles, nature's inspiration to sustainable business transformation. So he's an expert in fields like biomimicry, cradle-to-cradle, industrial ecology, and he is an in-demand speaker, um, consultant for very progressive organizations and CEOs around the world who are really stepping up to the plate to actually become leaders um, from the emerging future. Really, um, he is the right-hand man to a few organizations and people who are really, really are at the forefront of systems change. So it was a true honor and pleasure to have Giles onto the Flow State podcast. And we talk about um, some very interesting themes around uh, inner change and transcending polarities to actually become less radicalized and more adept uh, at actually working within systems um, to evoke change. He talks about very practical steps that business leaders can take to elevate the consciousness of their organization. So if you're a founder, if you're a, if you're a CEO, if you're a, in the leadership team of a business and you have been noticing kind of themes and um, kind of like relics of the industrialized past in the organization that you work at, then really listen in to figure out what you can do about that to modernize or to make to help co-create an organization that is more an organism and less a machine. Um, we also talk about the power of being in nature, what that actually does to the human psyche, to the soul. Um, and we talk about how to access what we call the implicate order, which is a term um, given to us by the quantum physicist David Bohm to describe a level of being in which we are sensing, intuiting, feeling, in which we are in touch with the world around us, um, not living through our ego or our thinking mind. So um, this is an awesome interview. I'm very proud of this one. I, I really hope that you get some gold out of this, whether you're running a company or working at a company um, or just an observer of the way that organizations and leadership um, is happening right now in the world. If you want to understand the forefront of systems change, then please listen into this podcast. Let me know your feedback in the comments or, or any way you choose. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. I'm here today with Giles Hutchins. Giles is a speaker, an author, a strategist who... Um, sits at the intersection of nature and business and uh, is considered a thought leader in terms of how uh, business can be uh, realigned or transformed to, um, I guess, align and harmonize with nature. Um, maybe you can put it better than that, Giles, but if you could just introduce yourself, that'd be wonderful. Yes. Hi, uh, Giles Hutchins. I've been in business for over 20 years, formerly with KPMG Management Consultancy in Business Transformation, and then uh, more recently is Global Head of Sustainability with Atos, a big IT services company. Uh, but I left corporate life uh, a few years ago now when we were starting a family uh, to get closer to nature and to explore my real passion, which is looking to how we can not just learn from nature, but become more in harmony with the mind of nature. And what does that mean for leadership and the way in which we lead and operate and create organizations that actually are regenerative, that seek harmony with life. And so I've published three books, uh, The Nature of Business, The Illusion of Separation, and most recently, Future Fit, um, that help leaders uh, understand the value of attuning more deeply with nature. Mm, okay, excellent. So much to, to get into here. So I'm really curious about the, the roots of this, this passion for you individually, Giles. What, tell me a little bit about your childhood, like why a lot of people don't really have 
much of a relationship with nature these days. So how did that, uh, how did those roots take, take form in your life? Well, I've always felt a deep love of nature uh, from as early as I can recall. I was probably lucky having parents that sort of took us out for walks in nature. Um, but I was always inquisitive as well. I mean, I remember watching nature programs and, you know, struck by the awesome beauty of life. And a lot of the explorations into or the ways people describe nature around neo-Darwinism, for instance, or, you know, struggle for survival, uh, uh, sort of competition, um, innate um, sort of random mutations and so forth, never really rung true to me. And I always used to ask questions around that. Uh, and it wasn't until later on in my teens that a maths teacher um, showed us a animal farming and animal testing video that I was really kind of shocked that this sort of behavior could go on in, in a so-called civilized society. And that really uh, provoked something deep within me um, that I would never uh, turn my back on, really. And um, uh, being involved in sort of activism at an early age made me realize that I can't just have a go at the people chaining down the rainforest or the bulldozer drivers. Um, I need to get inside the the logic of why we're doing this. Um, and for me, business was a powerful force. Um, still, it is, is a very powerful force. And so um, partly unwittingly, I went into business partly to, to survive, to get on, um, but partly also to really understand uh, how this system worked. Did we have a strategy as humanity? How was mm. how was that working with some of these other uh, uh, anomalies? And um, that's, I, I suppose, what I ended up doing, exploring how we work within mm. business. Interesting. So you mentioned briefly activism. So did, did you actually have a spell as a, I don't know, like a, a long-haired rebellious university student? Or was it always more just sort of an observation of people being activists and, and you wondering whether that was actually the most effective way to affect change? Um, well, I did have long hair, more <laughs> as a teenager. Um, and I was always very outspoken. Mm. And uh, I have been involved in certain activities, but not, um, I wouldn't say I've never been a sort of full-on hardcore activists more as you say um quite quickly observing that if we're going to make change happen mm. um that we need to do things at all levels uh, activism is one of those but actually i could use my acumen my understanding my insight to change something that was underneath all that that was behind all that that needed to be changed otherwise it's just forever throwing stones at what is otherwise a massive machine um, that really just learns how to deal with people throwing stones at it how do we get inside that mindset and I was also struck that when I saw for instance in, in in animal rights people burning down laboratories or throwing stones at the people who were doing the animal testings that I saw the love I saw the fear I saw I empathized with the people doing the testing too as as human beings as people I didn't see them as necessarily enemies just the same way as I don't I don't see corporate organizations as enemies it's quite easy to allow the anger to create a polarization in ourselves. And I, I personally feel that that polarization is coming from the very same place that we're trying to get out of and we're trying to move away from, which is uh, one towards deeper love and deeper empathy for all of life. So that, that struck me early on. And um, uh, partly, as I say, I went into business anyway, just because I needed to pay the rent. I need to get on. And as you get involved in business, you kind of quite quickly realize you might as well be doing the manager job rather than uh, the grunt work. So you kind of work up. Mm -hmm. But at the same token, um, management consultancy was very good for me because it showed me the whole, you know, the different aspects of the system. I started off actually in property as a chartered surveyor and I understood about real estate around um, offices and uh, factories, how they get valued. And mm -hmm. I understood about law, going to uh, an expert witness in, in, in the high court. Mm -hmm. I understood how that worked. And then, then when I went into business strategy, I understood how business strategy works. So I was understanding the kind of core cornerstones of, of the capitalist system, which enabled me then to be able to see how it could be evolved. Mm. Interesting. So you really got in there and you had sort of like this very broad ranging 
experience of different parts of how the, the capitalist system works. That's very mm. interesting. So it sounds like from a very early age, you had this kind of systems thinking mindset. Like this, for me, it, it, it came much later. And for many people, it, it, it comes much later. Was this something that you inherited from parents who thought a certain way? Or was this just a particular logic that you happen to possess at a, at a young age? Um, I, I, I would like to think that I think that we all have it there um, innate within us when we're born. Um, my parents, bless their cotton socks, have been very supportive throughout my life and helped me. Um, but my father was in the forces all his life and my mother was a teacher and, you know, they were quite um, conventional. Uh, so, um, for instance, when I would argue about how David Attenborough was conveying nature as this kind of purely Darwinistic view, mm. um, you know, they would give me space to have those discussions but they weren't necessarily coming from a systems thinking perspective. I had no idea about systems thinking until far later in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something that I sensed. It was a beingness within me. It was mm-hmm. an intuitive awareness. It wasn't, it wasn't until much later, actually, when I was doing some work with Jonathan Porat and Forum for the Future, that I was describing, had the courage to start verbalizing how I sensed and saw things, that someone said to me, you know, that systems thinking, there's a whole thing about that. And then I started getting, you know, I started exploring that. I, I didn't, I, I, I came across Schumacher College, for instance, mm-hmm. only because... <laughs> Earlier on in my life, someone had uh, given me a book when I was 16 called Small is Beautiful, Mm. written by um, Schumacher, which at the time I didn't know he was famous. I just read it and it resonated deeply with my with how I saw life Mm. and couldn't put it down. And um, it was only much later on that someone said to me, oh, how did you? you know, come across all of this. And I mentioned reading that book when I was 16 and, and the lady I was talking to said, well, you do realize there's a whole college set up specifically for his work. And then I went along there and connected with them and, and, and met lots of kindred spirits. So lots of these things kind of unfolded by accident or, or perhaps not by accident, by synchronicity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never really came to it with a kind of clear mindset. It, it started unfolding for me. Um, I always deeply felt that our relationship with nature, with life, um, is core to the underlying problems and that our sense of separateness with inside ourselves, with each other, with humanity and nature was a root problem. I sensed that, but I couldn't articulate that. Mm. It wasn't until until much later that I started then looking at how that relates to organizational theory, to living systems theory, to phenomenology to psychosynthesis to all of these things that came much later for so did did that innate sense come through any sort of spiritual exploration or did it come just through the way you were wired or just through the just through you looking at world and and looking at nature uh, later on, um, uh, uh, earlier on, uh, it was just what way I was. I can't, yeah. I can't, I can't point to any particular outer body experiences or, or channeling activities that happened. Um, I, I, I still feel that we perhaps all have that as, as human beings. I'm not in any way indicating that I had this unique view. I don't think that is the case. I think we just don't give ourselves the space and time to sense into that. Um, uh, later on, mm. I have had a number of experiences that perhaps people could call peak experiences or, you know, the thin- thinning of the uh, of, of the veil uh, where you perhaps see more into the implicate order or what I call mm. the mind of mind of nature. And certainly I've had many synchronistic experiences. I, I have more and more. Well, I'm, I'm recognizing them more and more. I think they're always there again. I'm just more <laughs> I'm more conscious of them now and I'm more open to them. Um, I, I, I felt they were probably these aren't new feelings when I feel them inside their body. They're feelings like I had when I was a child or perhaps even past life. Uh, experiences so they they feel like a remembering of something rather than sort of some newfound um, uh, ground uh, but yes I mean since um, uh, sort of teenagers onwards I did have I've had some out-of-body experiences I've had some I, I, I have lucid dreaming now um, so uh, I, I, I am now very open spiritually mm 
to what my soul can inform um, me and how that can help me and how I can connect with with uh, a deeper, deeper sound of creation. Mm, beautiful. Well, one of the books that really informed me in the 20s, in my 20s, was this book called Original Wisdom by an anthropologist called Robert Wolfe. Um, and he was studying, he lived with this tribe in, the, in Malaysia um, called the, the Singoi, and they're otherwise known as the Dreaming People. And he reported basically telepathy um their ability to sense when he was coming to visit them um you know he'd be trekking in at unable to communicate with them because they were completely off the grid no radios nothing and he'd just be walking in and every single time there'd be a tribesman just sort of sat on his haunches waiting for him um and these people lived as though dream world uh, waking world all one um Mm. And they would have these, you know, he just talked about this, this innate knowing, this, he calls it original wisdom, this, this level of communication and intelligence that's um, just different from thought, just, yep. you know, and yeah, it sounds like you were having these experiences of original wisdom at, um, at a relatively young age, um, which is fascinating. So when you went into the corporate world, um, and I believe you're at KPMG for, for quite a while. Is that right? Yep. Which is about as, you know, mainstream blue blood corporate world as you can get. Um, what, what, what were your thoughts like entering into kind of like the, the belly of the system? Like how did you navigate those waters? Well, I, I, I kept suppressed, um, quite a lot of my feelings about, um, there was still an anger, perhaps, or, or an, 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 an unintegrated feeling within me that there was a problem with the system and how was that being dealt with. Um, but I didn't really allow that to surface into my everyday um, awareness. I was just getting on with how does this work? How do I perform? How do I learn? How can I um, be of best value? And I met some really interesting people um, who helped me, who helped polish, as it were, what was otherwise quite a rough diamond um, that professionalized me, um, that enabled me also through my own experiences to get on and deal with all sorts of different um, ways of engaging with people, uh, with different parts of the business system, um, all learning very quickly, learning different things about technology, about business strategy, um, about, you know, um, uh, essentially um, how the the whole monetary system works Mm -hmm. and and so forth. So it was a a really good experience and really good world-class training as well that they put me on. And, And quite early on, I was thrown into the deep end with having to do a presentation um, to a bunch of um, senior clients and partners at a breakfast seminar because the partner was ill and I was asked, I was his assistant at the time, could I, can I, can I, can I, can I do the presentation? And then on the back of that, you know, people saying, oh yeah, you know, can you, you can do another one now for us. And, and so quite quickly pushed into sort of public speaking, which Hmm. really didn't, really didn't feel comfortable with. Um, But yet, became practiced at so it was there were lots of good grounding experiences Mm. Um, it was much later on I was running a practice actually of 50 consultants and at my own P&L sort of small business if you like um, that much later on I then started thinking okay when when do I start bringing in reintegrating what I truly feel into the work I'm doing it was as if I'd given myself a a time period to watch and learn and when was I now going to start reintegrating that and that was quite difficult because at one level on the outer world I was seen as successful Um, it was easy just to tell people what I did and um, you know uh, it it gained respect and and I was on the fast track and it was all good good and I was learning a lot good for my ego good for my material living good for you know all of these sorts of things and society is kind of rewarding you in that way as well because people are recognizing you and you know whether it's in social life as well so it's kind of um you know you almost start thinking well is this it um and then when i started going through it was actually a david attenborough program one 
evening um, when I was watching it and he said, the time is now. We know that we're irreparably damaging this beautiful diversity mm. of life and it's because of humanity and the time is now. This was back in about 2005, 2006, mm. that it spoke directly to me that my time was now. I mm. needed to now start making the change. And it was then that I started shifting into working with charities, working on sustainable business, engaging very much in that. And then these other things like systems thinking or um, biomimicry or, mm. or industrial ecology started coming up in my radar and I started absorbing them, reading books. And uh, before that, you know, life was my playground. But now I was just reading, I was exploring because of my passion was there. Mm. But it wasn't necessarily easy because whilst the passion and the purpose were aligning, all that was coming out was perhaps ways of communicating that were perhaps sometimes putting people off because you're too strident. Yes. You're too you're too on it. You're too yes. kind of, well, this must be the way. And people, are co of course, aren't ready. So I learned a hell of a lot during that process in sustainable business about how to empathize with people and bridge people where they're at. Yes. Yes, it's so important, isn't it? I mean, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, what, what, you're, what you stand for, what, what you represent is really flying directly in the face of hundreds of years of you know trajectory that western industrialized civilization is has been on so it's mm. it's it's really like a sharp turn that 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 you're presenting isn't it mm. Well, um, I try and make it about a, a soft turn to start off with um, mm. by saying, actually, this is good business sense, yes. um, that actually organizations are living systems. They're not mechanistic machines. And there's lots of evidence now that helps us with that. And that because of the volatility and fast change that we have, we need to be like living systems. And kind of a lot of leaders kind of get that. So I spend quite a lot of time on that messaging. So people kind of get that this is, you know, this is yeah. just sensible uh, way forward and then you can start shifting more into well if you are a living system yeah. um, and you want your organization to be more purposeful more human more regenerative and more uh, seeking harmony with society and the environment because we know that this is actually good for your business and good for your people and good for the psyche of your organization then how then you start unpacking it what does that mean what does that mean for you mm. well how do we view life What's our level of consciousness? Are we always viewing it through the lens of separateness? Or are we able to start di dipping into what you're referring to as kind of original wisdom or the implicate order or the mind of nature that is pervading everything? That dream world that you refer to is there underneath the surface of our daily consciousness, pervading it all the time. And if we can allow our daily awareness to permeate more readily, we open up to a richer wisdom that's there that informs us, that makes us better leaders, that makes us uh, more able to create space for people in our teams and organizations to become more of who they truly are, to draw on a deeper wisdom a deeper energy a deeper sense of purpose and all of that helps your living system become more vibrant and more regenerative mm. so what are the keys to shifting the energy of a that flows within a company from one of fear and control one of hierarchical management kpis people basically just watching out for themselves which is just so much the culture in basically all the corporations I ever worked in. Um, and to this more trust-based, um, organic kind of humanistic kind of energy, kind of vibe. Like what you've obviously been in the trenches in this space. Um, at what level, what are the first things that need to happen for a company to, to go through that transformation from fear to trust? Yes. Uh, well, as well as actually having first-hand experience of working with organizations, I've also been engaged recently with some business schools and one in particular, um, a big global study that I, I, I um, inputted into where we also analyzed lots of other um, uh, research uh, around the world and interviewed a number of senior business leaders, CEOs from different organizations, mm -hmm. and also got in the findings from a lot of these other developmental models out there, whether it be Teal, um, Spiral Dynamics, uh, Bill Torbert's work, Richard Barrett's work that you mentioned, um, all of these different models. And what we see, what we can see from that and what's actually happening in this immense time of breakdown and breakthrough 
is um, a need for leaders. Once we get the mindset of shifting from that mechanistic machine to a living system, what we realize is that leaders need to focus on essentially two aspects that are interrelated. One is around the self Mm -hmm. and one is around the system. And that that self-development is vertical development. You know, there's some horizontal development around technical skills, um, et cetera, and so forth. But actually, it's the vertical development going through a transformation, a process of individuation, to use Carl Jung's expression, or or Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, your self-actualization and then into self-realization, where you become essentially your ego, again, is as I say before, is permeating. Your sense of self is permeating so that you're seeing your being you're sensing into the interconnectedness of life. And that is a transformative process. There's lots of ways we can trigger that. We can help that. We can allow people to have more opportunity for developing that because it's the person themselves that needs to do that. We can't force that on people, as you know, in your work. Uh, it's, it's whether people are ready for that, but we can create the conditions that in, improve that. And nature immersions are, are one powerful way of doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 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 generative discussions, uh, coaching work. Um, uh, th- th- there's uh, there's lots of consciousness raising techniques yes. as well, and, and 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 a lot of that is about a spiritual practice uh, and getting people on board. And 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 sometimes people need to have some kind of burning platform or some kind of transformation in their own lives or a tipping point or a shift that's gone on uh, that enables them to actually want to be open to that. Because otherwise, you're, 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 it, it's too easy to stay in where you're at. So yeah. there, is, there is a bit of pain required. And that's why when often people talk about the, all, the, all the pain and all the breakdown that's going on in the system, what a nightmare, and Trump and uh, Brexit. And, well, actually, <laughs> those, those create the conditions for, people, um, for systems to change. Mm-hmm. And that self-development goes hand in hand with the system development. Once we start shifting and we go into, for want of a better expression, from tier one consciousness to tier two consciousness, if you like, um, which is one from essentially fear-based to love-based or interrelational, to seeing the interconnections, to sensing the implicate and explicate uh, order of life, a more heart awareness, uh, coherent rela- way of relating, then we are able to see the systems, to see the value of creating space for um, interconnections between, for, for developing social intelligence, for instance. Mm. And so then there's, there's more te- different techniques that come in around art of hosting, uh, improvisation, um, way of counsel, uh, embodiment activities, constellations, things that uh, bring groups of people together, mm-hmm. either from across the stakeholder community, i.e. across the, the permeable boundary of the organization, or within different parts of the silos within the organization. So we allow those silos to become more permeable, and we allow the organizational boundary to become more permeable, just as we find in nature. Everything has permeability to it, and the more that we open that up, the more that we can interrelate Mm. Um, so that comes with a sense of purpose, a clear sense of purpose. So we don't just open up and become amorphous. We have a clear sense of purpose and clear strategic intent. So a lot of work on sense of purpose as well. And then you can bring in sociological findings around, well, if the organization is a living system, which you're starting to sense the power of that, um, then how do you shift the consciousness of the living system? Mm. Some of that is around culture, uh, around mission, around values, uh, but some of that is around actually creating what I call superconductors within the organization, key people um, who, and that can be of all levels, and in fact, it's better if it's at all levels, um, that start developing these circles of coherence where we share deeply, where we hold space, where we go deeper. So we're continuously deepening that resonance within the organization. And when we can see that a tipping point, a threshold of people in the organization, which can be as little as 10% in some organizations, reach that level of coherence and the whole organizational field starts shifting. It's as if you go for a metamorphosis, your caterpillar starts recognizing the imaginal cells and it, it no longer fights them. It flicks into a different way of being so that the metamorphic process unfolds quite quickly. Um, so helping that process of metamorphosis in the mm. organizations, uh, holding space mm-hmm. for key leaders, you know, it's, 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 it's great work. It is great work. Um, so 
this is this is fascinating stuff because what often happens in my experience and 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 this is speaking directly to i guess startup culture um is that a leader a ceo or a founder might go go through a transformational experience and shift from tier one to tier two consciousness and start to feel completely differently in terms of the impact the, the the role i guess the meaning he wishes to ascribe to his life and therefore to the company itself but there's all kinds of legacy stuff from a previous level of consciousness like the way people communicate the way people have been hired um, comp structures um, organizational charts all sorts of things I, and and I'm fascinated by this. All the things that you mentioned make absolute sense in terms of uh, facilitating change in other people and um, really speaking to the to the culture and the mission and the values. Now, can we go a bit deeper onto this um, superconductors and the circles of coherence? Um, this was this this speaks to me on. I, I remember reading a book. I think it was David Bohm, the the physicist, um, talking about dialogue, um, and, and I think he was in a. I think he was in a dialogue with with a philosopher called Judy Krishnamurti, and I think he was talking about how dialogue, in his in his opinion, was possibly the most important factor in terms of a global shift or a global awakening, um, and that never really landed in, in, until a few years later when I was a participant in I guess circles or or dialogues. Um, and I was um, able to actually feel a transformation in myself and others by sharing in a, a space, a, a co- sort of like a shared energy, almost like um, vibrations or frequencies are actually um, going through a shift right there and then in the room. Um, so c- can you just describe these, what you mean by circles of coherence? Yeah. Uh, I'm doing quite a lot of work with some um, quantum physicists and cosmologists at the moment who we're exploring just this. And and then um, in my work relating to uh, the emerging future, helping to create that emerging future Mm. through our quality of presencing, um, Mm. which is something that Otto Sharma speaks a lot about in his theory you work. And uh, I, I, yeah, um, great respect for David Bohm and his work around dialogue, which was mm. before its time. And, you know, many of these things land a bit flat for a while and then they, they come up and percolate through. A way of counsel is also something that's been around for indigenous cultures yes. have used it throughout, throughout millennia. It's a very simple practice. But essentially, that generative listening and speaking um, from the heart, you, developing that heart awareness um, uh, and really sensing into um, the presencing of, of deeply sharing. So there's different levels. You know, uh, when I take leaders into nature, for instance, we kind of develop that a little bit throughout the day. It's, it's, not, it's not overt. It's kind of just implicit within it. So we start off with some spatial exercises where people are sharing all together and seeing the how each of them have similar challenges when it comes to it and then we do some deep listening where we um, practice just really sitting uh, um, in pairs this is just in pairs speaking and listening from the heart and really sharing at a deep level which opens people up and then um, some informal kind of generative dialogue really perhaps um, just sharing as a group and then more formal after that and there's some ac- activities in between um, uh, into way of counsel where you have your talking stick where you're sitting Um, round in a circle but I've done this I mean that's out in nature around a campfire but I've done this in corporate boardrooms I've done this with German um, organizations um, you know uh, high-tech organizations I've done this with Millennials in a hackathon I've done this with um, elders um, experienced um, people who are in their own right um, you know come with their own kudos but also their own egos Um, and always what happens after you go around that circle, but the, the, the key is creating enough space, a container mm. for trust and for openness and for grace to come in. And then um, not only are we tapping into a social field, but we're tapping into the implicate order, to use David Bone's expression, what I would call the mind of nature. We're going beyond our individual egos and even beyond this, the, um, the social field or that system field of, of, of us together but into 
um, well, that 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 dream world, that that mm. that world that's always there. The, it's permeating throughout space. This is why it's interesting for quantum physicists because we're now proving that actually this consciousness is pervading space, mm. um, and that actually there is an formlessness that informs all form. So in a way, what we're doing is we're helping ourselves open up. So not only are we permeating our egos through doing practices, because sometimes doing it in mindful meditation can be a real struggle for people, for people who've got busy minds and, and, you know, uh, and, you know, you're sitting there, but you're having arguments with yourself by doing practical exercises like deep listening, like generative dialogue, like way of counsel, you're engaged. And you're deeply listening and you're showing you're aware of when you're really listening to that person or when you're getting caught up in a thought of past or future or a judgment or when perhaps that person's saying something that is touching you. So you're aware of that, but you're bringing yourself back to the present moment all the time. And so you're deepening your own awareness. And then what happens is just what happened to you and what happened to me when I experienced it is that you sense something, you embody it. So it's not a kind of I've read something and it makes sense. It, or, or I've gone on a, learn, uh, a leadership course and now I'm trying to integrate it back in my business. We actually feel it. And not only are we feeling it so we, we, know, we know it, but we're also feeling it with other people whilst talking about leadership challenges. So it's on, on many levels very, very profound. And so what we then do in those circles of coherence is once we get people used to that and we've done two or three way of counsel sitting in a circle is then we start talking about specific challenges and we start really going uh, deep in that. And then uh, each of those people in that circle of coherence Lynn McTaggart who's done some um, work around field theory and so forth says that you can do there's a power of eight eight is quite a powerful number and that even uh, the intention of these groups she does it around healing so groups of people of eight um, send uh, uh, healing to a particular area for instance and whilst there are some scientific reports that show that when there's that kind of concentrated coherence and mindfulness activity that crime rates do fall and so mm -hmm. forth what she's really noticed is that the the eight people within the group mm. have trans have transformative experiences over the next year of mm. regularly doing that kind of group work they themselves regardless of the effect they're having are, are through their intention work themselves are having transformative experiences so if you take that back to the organization whilst we're focusing in and exploring things about making change happen and and sensing into a more alive mm. um interrelated living system mm. then you allow those people in those circles to then start starting their own circles so they then become the kind of facilitators that are holding space mm. um, for others within their group and you start allowing it to form out so on the one hand you've got things like so, um, a sociocracy and holacracy, which is about circles and around how we govern and how we structure um, roles and operations, and that can be really useful. But on the other hand, what we sometimes then miss, that can sometimes become a bit yang, a bit mm -hmm. too around structures again, around terms of references. You know, it comes from a very good place. Um, uh, but it can get a bit too stuck in itself. It needs to be balanced with the ying, which is just mm -hmm. having circles, just sharing, opening up, being. And regularly doing that with senior manage, p managers, people from the shop floor, mashing it up and making it real. Mm. Mm. How, how, can a, how can a CEO or a leader, uh, ultimately the, the buck has to stop somewhere on really difficult decisions. And how do we move from this, I guess what uh, Frederick Leloux and would call like the green uh, meme, how do we move from this sort of circular discussion dialogue that never gets to any sort of end result to somebody actually saying hey let's make a decision like yeah how do we well, do that I without, mean, without the ego or without the friction or without and, and allowing people to feel like they're 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 part of the decision well to be very clear what we're not doing in these discussions is um it is making it at some form a democratic circle you can do and there are models that do that and that again in part of sociocracy you then make it part of decision making uh, in certain ways what what i'm not talking about here and what i'm talking about here is creating a shared field um, you discuss things, you explore them. What happened in indigenous cultures in way of council is then through that discussion and exploration, either wise elders mm -hmm. who, who were usually uh, older women or the tribal leader or both 
would then make decisions based on what had been heard in the circle um, and their own insights. So we're not in any way saying that out of that circle, we then have a vote or we then have a, well, what did it know? What we're just saying is we're just sharing and we're tapping in and we're exploring because the very act, and this is where David Bohm's work is transformative, the very act of sharing, of exploring, of going deep is in itself transformative. Just as Lynn McTaggart is realizing the very act of having that joint intention is transformative in itself. So this isn't in any way absconding or in some way changing decision-making processes and so forth. Not at all. It goes alongside I it. See. So okay. there's a difference because otherwise the green, what does, what happens in some of these intentional communities, they get stuck in, in, in processes and, and it's not about that. It's mm. actually a mechanism, a, um, social technology if you like that helps raise consciousness mm-hmm. um so it's 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 far more related to the teal and turquoise mm-hmm. um but it can be used throughout i mean i would argue some of these spiral dynamic models or representations of them um are devaluing sometimes indigenous wisdom and uh uh actually they've been as you well know from your original wisdom book you know that that, that this is inherent in them and the way they see the world i believe is far richer than than sometimes <laughs> our, our, our modern consciousness um is capable of yeah that's a very interesting point like the the, the reductive quality of these spirals and colors and diagrams and things like that that's a that's a very interesting point. Have you spent much time with indigenous cultures to to see or feel firsthand how certain things take place? I've had the pleasure of working with some individuals mm. and working with um, some shaman, and I have worked with. Uh, well, I know Mac McCartney here in the UK um, for for some years, who has spent twenty years with medicine people mm-hmm. but I, I i was going to just before i left corporate life i had the opportunity to go and spend some time with a tribe in the amazon mm. and i was going to uh, um you know fit that in with a work trip but i never did because i needed to leave corporate life and the timing was such with the birth of our first child and mm. so forth that didn't happen i regret that because i would like to mm. i would like to really spend time um but also, I think it's worth mentioning that we all come from indigenous yes. um, and that we also have indigenous within ourselves. Yes. So this isn't just about, again, creating another, you know, mm. spiral or another circle, which is indigenous mm. people. This is more what I'm trying to <laughs> convey is that there is a field that's there that perhaps indigenous wisdom are uh, indigenous people are perhaps more permeable too because they haven't had the noisiness a noisy uh, approach that we've had but we can allow that sense of separateness and that noisiness to also be a gift for us as we reintegrate back into this mm. implicate order this mind of nature as we we come back into the table of life uh, and we see ourselves beyond our own illusion. We can use the journey that we've been on of separateness uh, and the advances of technology, uh, medicine, transportation, mm-hmm. uh, social uh, media uh, and so forth and leadership and so forth. We can bring those in. Um, so this isn't, again, a harking back to something. This is just yes. a recognition that there was always innate within us and innate within life. This is a tapping into something rather than a, um, uh, a, a new level of, um, uh, of technology. Now, I would say that evolution is continuously unfolding and progressing. And so I feel that, you know, we, we, we have gone through journeys for whatever reason. And uh, this breakdown and breakthrough that we're going through has the potential to help us form new strange attractors, new levels of consciousness that we can tap into, that we as human beings um, can evolve into, um, which is hugely exciting. Mm. So, so much of it for me comes down to like, like I, I read as much as I can around some of the, the topics that we've been learning, talking about and you know, reinventing organisations is a is a book that's got a lot of press over the past year or so. But fun and, and a lot of it, as you've kind of touched on, can feel a little bit yang and a little bit head based, a little bit thought based, um, theoretical and philosophical. Whereas when I get out in nature and when I 
immerse myself and when i when, when i tap into that to that feel to that original wisdom what was the phrase that you used i loved it i wrote it down somewhere what was the phrase that you used to describe the implicate order nature's the mind of nature the mind of nature yes 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 so i've just had a week in the mind of nature um there was some plant medicines involved and but it was i was living on a permaculture farm and i was just i was practicing the art of being and i've come back from this a week ago and i've been having the most amazing dreams i dreamed last night that i was a a kind of like a hybrid a fusion of a of an indigenous um american based person and an indigenous australian and the, in the dream i was walking on land but with this knowing there was this like absolute communication uh, going on this two way communication with every plant every animal every tree um was was communicating with me and i was reading signals from it and understanding exactly um you know it, it was guiding me in terms of the the past future and present and i woke up in the morning and and realized that what you just said is so true it's in us it's so in us but the the difference with us and indigenous tribes is that we happen to have been brought up in a kind of more egoic society so the crust of that kind of like identification self identification the the linkedin profile the social media stuff is kind of just thicker in certain cultures and my fear is that not it's not a fear my observation is that is it getting thicker in with millennials is it or 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 is it getting thinner is is this crust of ego and ident- identification with narcissism and selfies and all that stuff like is the ego getting more entrenched or less entrenched what are your thoughts well i i would sense that imagine that I, I love that dream that you just shared imagine that the energy is being turned up that there's 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 an energy coming through nature that's coming through us that's coming through life that's here and it's just being turned up it's coming up it's mm. it's in, enlivening it's enriching its frequencies changing and it has the potential therefore to to dislodge structures they could be constrictions inside ourselves and habituations and views they could be strictures inside society and all of that has the potential to inflate egos to get caught in bubbles to um exacerbate certain situations that then encourage polarization mm. um uh, that and create more innovation and creativity that can then be twisted into economic um productization that is just more of the same um and that also has the potential to dislodges uh, and pushes up and to for us to seek or to tune into something uh, deeper which brings with it the challenge of having to let go and that letting go um uh, Otto Sharma talks about letting go to let come i would argue there's a kind of letting go and then an opening up uh, there's a there's a, there's a period of just sensing into which is when you're in that ability to really commune with to be at one with before you allow something that causes you to come through mm. and so um with young people coming through it's on the one hand a blessing because you're coming into something that is, is in a way a bit more rich than what it was when i was coming through but on the other hand it, it also is very distracting and there's all sorts of potential pitfalls and swings and roundabouts there's people in the consciousness movement um that or, or there's people who are very conscious and who are very aware of purpose and who are very aware of um um how to make change happen and yet are just using that to make businesses more profitable mm. more viable viable which i'm not judging um but it it's easy to get caught up in that because you need to get your own job done and you need to do your own so all the time i would argue it's coming back to uh realizing that if you know that you if you sense that you're part of something bigger than yourself um uh, that you know that that wisdom that you're accessing isn't your own it's a coming in through something then with that comes this humbling sense of being in service of something mm. and when that shift of you know uh, but yet as a young person coming through you still need to find your own 
you know, we have egos for a reason. We go through little processes for a reason to finding our own sense of self first before we can then allow it to permeate. Mm. Um, so there's, there's, there's loads of trip wires, there's loads of cul-de-sacs, there's loads of ways to uh, get caught up in things. And, and the challenge is always then to be able to see beyond it. And mm. I would argue back to what we was talking earlier, that if we can create inventures, um, space, pause, time for, to take people out, um, uh, uh, ways of uh, uh, reading material that makes this comfortable. I mean, what things like reinventing organization uh, uh, and theory you do is they give a intellectual, uh, a well-respected platform for making this acceptable, mm -hmm. which is really important. So all of these things help create a new collage, a new way. Um, and our job, um, as you're doing with this podcast, is to help just create a bit mm. more communication that helps someone coming through the ranks or an existing senior person in business go, yeah, okay, yeah, I, I get this. This resonates with what's going on in me. I haven't really given that much attention because I haven't got time to give it much attention, but maybe I might do now. And that's yes. just a little, creating little cracks, creating little spaces for light to shine through, moments of grace in our days is perhaps all we can hope for to start off with. Beautiful moments of grace. I love it. Can you help us? Can you, can you, um, a little bit of backstory. So I was in Europe with my family and sometimes you get really triggered with your family as I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, and, and it's sort of, you, you, you face challenges or, or you realize that, um, you know, well, let's put it this way. If you think you're enlightened, go spend a couple of weeks with your family and then you'll realize all, you'll see all the shadow parts. But for me, it was, I was triggered when I was explaining to certain family members about this concept of, um, systems change and a purpose led business. And, um, I, I was, I've been feeling very inspired about what I feel are really amazing things that are happening in certain microcosms. And, the feedback that I got from my family was this sort of like skeptical energy of, yeah, we've seen it all before. It's CSR, you know, it's good branding and, you know, it makes, it makes the, the shareholders happy and blah, 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 blah. And I, and I had this sort of like fire raging within saying, no, it's more than this. It's more than this. So I wonder if you can, um, give us any examples of what you see at the coalface of, of this movement that you're, that you're so entrenched in. Um, what, what changes have you seen in, in some of the, the clients that you've had the pleasure of working with? Yes, certainly. And uh, just before that, in terms of uh, empathizing with the family and, and other people that we come across, uh, I think I've been dealing with a client recently as well that's been going through a, bit, a major change. Um, I, I think we need to empathize also or, mm. or uh, provide forgiveness mm. or compassion for, and this is, I'm talking, I'm not I'm talking to myself here, it's very easy to say and difficult to do. Because mm. um, when these people come with this, they're often coming from a place of, you know, they've been jarred or yes. they've tried to open up with love, but then it's been closed down on them. Um, and so uh, I, I empathize with that. Mm. And there's a lot, lot to be said about, you know, it's just another brand and it's just another company. And really how, on the one hand, of course, it's trying to do good and it's trying to invest and it's doing something. But on the other hand, well, it's still part of the system. And, you know, it's back to when I talked about um, being an angry animal rights person when I was a teenager, quite quickly realizing that actually if I'm going to engage with people, I'm going to really make change happen within the machine, within the, 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 the system that is around the world, that we need to meet people where they're at and work, work in that. And a lot of sustainable business is trying to do that. Uh, again, I, I mean, the reason, one of the reasons why I left um, uh, my job as a global head of sustainability was I was talking at conferences and I was just fed up with going to conferences and hearing all these brands going on about how great they are and doing what they're doing and just me realizing well yeah but you're still most of your product line is, is unsustainable or you know you're still you know is this really fit for purpose for where we're at and that led me down the road of getting into the psyche the consciousness of the organization what I talk about about being regenerative not just being less bad but actually enhancing making your organization somewhere where people come and they improves and enhances their experience of life and that it improves and enhances the experience of our wider society and environment why not why can't business be about that and i would argue movements like conscious capitalism the purpose movement 
Teal, Evolutionary, uh, B Corp, all of which are exponentially rising. I mean, B Corp, you know, organizations signing up to voluntarily change their legal constitution away from being beholden to short term returns to creating value for all uh, stakeholders, including society and the environment. And the movement that's in there, business as a force for good, where they're not um, having a race to the bottom. They're having a race to the top. How can we share as a group? How can we do better? How can we improve? And, you know, using a lot of that perhaps activism that's in us, but in a sacred way, in a spiritual warrior kind of way to move forward, to seek better and to be inspiration for others. And that B Corp could be inside of a big corporation and still be doing good. Or it could be out on the edges. It doesn't matter. It's more that level of intent and sense of purpose. That doesn't mean to say that those people in themselves won't sometimes get jaundiced, uh, won't sometimes get um, um, feel a bit, uh, you know, tired or jarred by it all, uh, as we all do. And those voices of your parents and family are important voices to have around the circle. Mm. Uh, but the beauty of the circle is that you go deeper and deeper with it and, and soon you realize that what's beneath that, why are they saying that, where are they really coming from, where do they go and usually yes. it's coming from a sense of fear of can I really open up to this, mm. can I really open up to love, mm. can I really, can we really trust love mm. because so many things in life have shown me that I can't and to have the courage to do that is a massive thing. Mm. Yes, thank you for your wisdom on that, I really appreciate that. Um, now tell us some good stories about <laughs> cool organizations that are doing great things. Well, as I say, B Corps, there's lots oh, yes. of B Corps, um, uh, organizations and the competition capitalism movement has gained mm. as well as doing some really good stuff. I mean, I could pick all sorts of organizations. There's a company I'm working, I, I know at the moment, um, uh, 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 the CEO of that organization, it's a chemicals company yeah. doing some really great work. Um, uh, uh, the company had perhaps become quite traditional. Um, but now, you know, their whole focus is going to be on, uh, providing chemicals that are sustainable, that are non-toxic. Uh, that transform the industry. Um, there's another organization I work with, um, uh, a herbal provider, where all of their products are organic um, and they're investing in, in Fair Wild, where the communities that they work with throughout their value chain are, uh, you know, they, they look at how they work with the the, the, the local people in a way that they their lives are being re regenerated and the local mm. environment is being regenerated so there's mm. loads of really good work happening out mm. there i mean we're not short of good stories mm. and what i also would argue is that a po positive news uh, getting those messages out through positive journalism which is in part what you and i are doing mm -hmm. um, by taking our messages out there we we're lucky in the uk here to have positive news as a, as a, the only constructive journalist real um constructive journalist magazine there's, there's also uh, resurgence and a few others um but uh, positive news really leading the way um and we should have those in every country there should be some in australia i'm sure there are um which really focus on constructive stories yes there's challenges it's not about ignoring the challenges it's saying yeah well let's learn from that and how do we move forward because all of our news these days is fear-based is is pathetic they're, they're, they're not news they're not newspapers mm -hmm. and that rubs off on people so they immediately get jarred oh yeah that sounds great but and so we always respond with that because it's kind of easy and we'll just just go along to the restaurant and not really worry about whether it's organic or not just look at the price tag and uh, not really you know, because it's all too difficult um, and in a way that news dumbs us down it, it tunes us out it, it prevents us from developing our own coherence because we are the superconductors and how we choose to attend, how we choose to engage and relate and open up to that mind of nature and bring it into our conversations is the art of living, is the art of becoming a true human being. Mm. Beautiful, Giles. That's the moment to draw a close. We can't beat that. Thank you so much for um, sharing your wisdom and so eloquently and so powerfully and so from the heart um you've really inspired me um in so many ways and um yeah i'm just really grateful to 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 be able to introduce your work to to the flow state audience um so can you tell us obviously we mentioned that we mentioned the three books um where where can people find out more about you and, and your work and you know if there's any ceos listening who um, really want to learn more about your work and join you in nature, how can they find out about that stuff? 
Um, well, I've got a blog, thenatureofbusiness.org. So it's just all one word, thenatureofbusiness.org. And uh, I have an academy, the Future Fit Leadership Academy, which is www.ffla.com.co. Uh, sorry, so ffla.co. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, there, that you can. I also have a personal website, gileshutchins.com, um, where for my speaking and, and advisory work. Um, and I've got YouTube uh, videos that I've done on each of the books. Um, so you can see a there'll be a clip on YouTube about the nature of business, the one that, that my, my first work around how business can learn from nature. The illusion of separation was more of a phil- philosophical exploration in terms of how did we come to think that we're separate from nature and how can we transcend beyond that. And then the latest book, Future Fit, which is the one I think you've read, mm. um, is very much for leaders looking at how we can uh, change our organizations into ones that are regenerative in harmony with nature. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Giles. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. See you. Bye. Well, I really enjoyed interviewing Giles Hutchins. I found him to be such a gracious, humble man um, with such deep knowledge. I, I really am in, uh, I have such deep respect for him. His 20 years of experience, he's blended such a beautiful array of you know, corporate world, practical understanding, like figuring out the tools and technologies and language and the way the system works, and then really going on an inner journey to understand what it means to be a human being, to understand what we are as, as part of nature, and then to blend these two things together, these two paths together, to do what he's doing right now, to be at this cutting edge of helping organizations just become forces for good, organizations to become um, vehicles for transforming the way that human beings interface with the planet that we live on. I think this is really inspiring. So in this quest for inner flow, cultural flow, systems flow that I'm a part of, Giles is really a pioneer um, and a bit of a hero and a, and, a, and a mentor of mine. So thank you so much for listening in. Um, don't forget that you are more than welcome to join Flow Tribe. That's flowtribe.co where you'll find a global bunch of change makers um, who are all Uh, learning together how to live in the flow of life if that sounds interesting to you check out flowtribe.co until next time see ya thanks for listening to the flow state performance podcast check us out at www.flowstateperformance.com for more inspiration to unleash your potential